Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is Erin Chamberlick of Get Better Wellness Radio doing my mad dash <laughs> to make the deadline. We have an important show for you today, and I'm really excited. We have an awesome guest, and um, let me just start out with my little intro here. Um, <clears throat> we're going to talk about vaccination, <laughs> the conventional pediatric vaccination schedule has um, listed, I don't know, eight or so childhood vaccines, but there's multiple shots given with each one of these. And so by the time your child is 15 months old, they could have had 20 shots. So (laughs) the use of vaccinations is growing, and so are the controversies surrounding them. Whenever I bring up the subject with mothers, fathers, we... um, you know, especially if it's on Facebook, we can get into some heated discussions. And that's not what this is about. This is about your choice, your informed choice to vaccinate or not vaccinate, but doing it knowing what the risks and benefits are. So I am bringing to us today a special guest, Dr. Tenpenny, and let me see if she is on the line here. Good morning, Dr. Tenpenny. Are you with us? Good morning, Erin. Thank you. I'm glad you could join us. Um, We are, um, you know, in this place where if we're parents, we're trying to decide whether to have our child vaccinated or not. And this is, as you said, an important choice, uh, probably the most important choice that parents are going to make. So today we're going to um, ask some tough questions. You know, we want to know how vaccines work and if they're safe the pros and the cons, um, how can a parent make good decisions, and maybe we'll get a chance to talk about the flu vaccine. Um, So I just want everybody to know that we have, you know, an an expert with us today. Dr. Tenpenny is um, the founder of the Tenpenny Integrative Medical Center located in Middleburg Heights, Ohio, which is just a multidisciplinary health center. And she comes to us um, as a graduate of the University of Toledo and receiving her medical training at Kirksville College of Osteopathic Medicine. She's board certified in emergency medicine and worked a number of years running an emergency department in Ohio. So I want you to be comfortable that we have the nation's expert here on a on vaccinations and our topic because she's um, written several books on the topic, articles, and you can visit her website at drtenpenny.com. So are you ready to roll here? We've got, a, you know, about 30 to 35 minutes. Sure. Absolutely. Great. Well, you know, maybe we'll start with some basics. You know, we want to talk about this 200-year-old procedure called vaccinations. So, How is it supposed to work? Maybe just give us a little primer here. Well, I'll give you a primer, but I want to back up and just add just a couple of more things so your audience knows where my perspective comes from. I'm board certified in emergency medicine. I was a conventionally trained doctor that was the director of an emergency department for 12 years before I moved to Cleveland to start my integrative medicine center here in 1996. 
I've written two books. I've published eight DVDs. I've done a couple thousand radio interviews. I've spoken on international programs about the problems associated with vaccines. And I was even on the Dr. Oz show about problems associated with vaccines. So I wanted to get a little bit more uh, solidification of my credentials there so that your listeners know that I've spent 17, more than 17,000 hours of my own time since two, September of 2000 investigating the background of vaccination, reading the medical literature, the CDC's literature, the pediatric infectious disease journals, and all of those different things. So when I make statements, solid, strong, probably sounding very bold statements about vaccination. It doesn't come without a very big, hefty background of information. And so I think that that is really important to to put that in and grounding it to say that vaccines were initially, when they were put forth in 1799 and how they were supposed to work was that if we injected something into your body, and that developed something called an antibody that the presumption was that that antibody functions to keep you from getting sick. Now, from the early 1800s all the way up through 2012, that presumption has really never been proven because people can have be vaccinated, develop what is considered by conventional standards a protective antibody, and still contract the illness that the vaccine was designed to protect against. And it's not because they had a vaccine failure and they didn't create the antibody. It was because antibodies are purely a marker that your blood has been contaminated by something that doesn't belong there. And there's a big, long line of assumptions that that antibody is the thing that keeps you from getting sick. Hmm. Okay. So we're operating on some false assumptions. Well, have vaccines ever in this 200-year history eradicated diseases? You know, you can speak about smallpox or polio because people do believe that. Well, it's usually when people first start walking into, like, the whole, like, light bulb, like the Ziggy light bulb pops up above their head and they go, wow, maybe I should really question this and maybe I should ask some questions about this. That's where the conversation always starts. It always starts from, well, what about smallpox and what about polio? Well, with smallpox, the truth of the matter is that less than 10% of the global population was actually vaccinated for smallpox. And even some of the world's experts from the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, which is the ruling body when it comes to public health in our country and some, to some extent around the world, even some of those uh, top experts said that smallpox really went away with the development of, of hygiene that people had, that there was more public sanitation, more public um, places to bathe. Uh, We stopped having so much communal beds and straws and filth and dirtiness. And that that, that smallpox is considered a filth disease, F-I-L-T-H, a filth Hmm. disease. And as the filth diseases, as, as the filth started to go away because of improved public hygiene in countries all around the world, so does smallpox. And so we have bought into this paradigm that, well, if we eradicated that, we can eradicate everything else, which brings up polio, which is a very long topic. We could probably do three whole conversations just on that. <clears throat> but that polio, um, there has been, um, there's been no polio in the Western Hemisphere since 1991. And again, this is another one of the filth diseases. 
because as you study polio and you look at all of the different things that cause polio, it really is the, the virus that causes it is a stomach flu virus. So more than 90% of people, and this is documented in the medical literature, more than 90% of people who are exposed to the polio virus get simply something that looks like a stomach flu, like a diarrhea, maybe some vomiting. It passes through their system, and because they have been exposed to it in a normal and a natural way, they develop a lifetime of immunity. Less than 2% of people who are exposed to the polio virus ever develop some, some level of paralysis, meaning numbness and tingling in an extremity. And of that 2%, less than 2% of those had chronic long-term disability from the polio infection. And, and so that's the people we, exposed, not the population at large, right? Not the population at large. That's exactly right. And we so we're have, talking we about have, polio was never really... Um, and currently today, even in the way that, that it is today, we see that pol the only polio that is residual and left in the world have poor hygiene, they're war-torn countries, and they're using the whole oral polio virus, which actually causes these people to get polio. And there have been, over the last three to four years, there has been a lot of information published in public health journals and global publications that say, we're probably never going to completely eradicate, eradicate polio because it's a filth disease and we keep using these oral polio vaccines, which the viruses morph and change and they, and they mate with other types of viruses and they're creating other types of problems. And so maybe we ought to just kind of let that go. Yeah, and if we haven't even seen it in this country in 20 years, um, <laughs> you know, your chances are so small. And then if you do, you know, encounter it by some chance, less than 10%. Um, less than 2%. Less than 2%, yeah. So it's just becoming, you know, we're just trying to comfort parents who are afraid their child is going to be the one who gets polio. But this is, you know, extremely remote and unlikely to happen. So what... Um, well, the, 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 the whole point about that, Erin, is the fact that you're, statistically, your child is more likely to die from drowning in the bathtub or being hit on a car by riding a bicycle than they are from con contracting polio. So does that mean that we won't ever give them a bath and we will never let them ride a bicycle? No, right. we have gotten this horrific fear thing, fear-mongering thing that has been Im embedded into our brain like an implant that we need to go do an implant extraction and mm -hmm. take that out and say there's no reason to have this level of fear, fear and hysteria about this this particular infection, which is what it is. Okay. Thank you. Um, I want to ask about, um, you know, specifically about the childhood vaccinations, the hep B, rotavirus, diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, you know, H flu, all, all these ones that we um, are told, this is the schedule, mom, here, give, you know, give this to your child. Are they safe? Are they all safe? Can you talk about um, safety and specifically about ingredients? Well, they're, none of them are safe. <laughs> you're injecting a foreign body, you're injecting foreign matter into your child and somehow expecting that to be okay and perfectly harmless. And I always like to use the visual of like, you know, we're coming into fall season now 
And if you went out, if you had a lot of trees in your backyard and, and they all the leaves fell off and you went out and raked those leaves up into a great big pile and then went out and put a cherry bomb underneath that pile and blew up those leaves all over the place, you, you cannot predict where those leaves are going to land. It's the same thing when you inject a, uh, a vaccine that contains a, a foreign animal human DNA, which is really disgusting, foreign viruses, a litany of chemicals, human albumin, uh, 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 all kinds of other types of ingredients that we can talk about in a minute. When you inject that, the outcome of what happens is totally unpredictable. It can be anything from nothing, and it looks like, well, that wasn't a big deal, or they get a little sore arm, or they cry and scream for days, or they can have a seizure, or they can die. And so the unpredictability of what a vaccination is is really important for important point for me to drive home to parents because there are some things in your child's life that you can control. You have control over what they eat. You know, you can choose the right foods for them and keep them away from sugar and processed foods and food additives and all of those things. You can make them wash their hands appropriately without being obsessive about it. You can get them to bed on time, which is probably the number one thing that you can do for their immune system is enforce, strictly enforce the bedtime no matter what kind of a tantrum they throw. They need to go to bed because it's important for their immune system and it's important for mommy and daddy to have some alone time away from the kids. Right. <laughs> and this is true all the way up through teenagers, right? And uh-huh. so, and you can do things like safety things. You can give them vitamins. You, there's all kinds of juicing things you can do. You can make sure they have a that adequate vitamin D level. You can control that part of your child's health. You have some level of control over that. You as a parent have zero control over the potential outcome of injecting them with something of unknown consequences that has not ever been proven to be safe. Never proven to be safe. Um, and the unpredictability that you spoke about, um, the, you know, you've dismantled the argument for smallpox and polio that everybody is basing their, you know, reason to vaccinate on in this herd immunity business and we don't want to, you know, infect the whole country. So let's look some more, uh, let's look deeper into the ingredients that you were starting to mention. Um, talk specifically about ingredients that would be in vaccines that are given to a child less than 15 months old, say. Okay, and I want to uh, sort of um, beef up a little bit of what you said in your introduction. To, you know, up through 1985, because parents say, well, I've got I kids that are older. I don't remember giving them all those shots. I don't know what the whole big deal is about. Well, up through 1985, there were only three vaccines, MMR, which is measles, mumps, rubella, DPT, which is tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis, and polio. That was it. There were only three. And they were multiple doses of those, and they were spread out, and kids usually didn't get all of them. And, and so they got kind of one at a time, and they were spread out. Today, there are 16 different vaccines for which they are given multiple doses starting at birth. We didn't have birth vaccines back 20 years ago. We didn't have, we only had two vaccines that were given at two, four, and six months, which was DPT and polio. Now kids get seven, eight, or nine vaccines. And the parents got very stressed out, and rightfully so, 
when they would see a nurse walking into the room with five syringes in their hand to inject into their precious little bundle all of these shots on one day. I mean, if you're an adult, if you're an adult, if you're a 35-year-old adult, and a nurse walks in the room and says, we're going to give you five shots, wouldn't you go, whoa, wait a minute. Do I really need all that? Like, do I need that all? Really? I don't know. Maybe can right. we just like one or two of those maybe? So why do we psychologically think that's okay in a 10-pound infant? Well, I know it has something so, to do with the capture rate. Like you have this child in front of you, vaccinate. <laughs> and that's And that's exactly what they call it. They call it capture, which I think is just horrific. Mm-hmm. So now the manufacturers have said, and said, oh, well, these parents are getting smart. They're reading package inserts. They're chatting on Facebook. Um, they're reading Dr. Tenpenny's books and Dr. Tenpenny's DVDs and uh, Larry Pulaski's and other people who have said, hey, we've studied this, and this is just a 200-year mistake. So they're coming in and they're saying, I don't think I want to get five shots in one day. And the pediatrician says, oh, we're only going to give them one shot today. But it happens to be something called Pediorix that's got seven vaccines in one syringe. So what it's is a that psychological Pediorix, P-E-D-I-A-R-I-X, Pediorix. And it has and seven. Several, it has seven. And the, it, um, it has diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, three strains of polio, um, and I believe hepatitis B is the other one. So that's three strains of polio. So that's three different vaccines in one shot. Diphtheria, tetanus, polio, and I believe hepatitis B is the other one. So it's a psychological bait and switch for parents. It's like, oh, okay, well, all right, we can do just one. Not mm. understanding that they are getting seven, but they're getting it through one syringe. And the ingredients that are in there are things like formaldehyde in all of the DPT vaccines and the polio vaccine, which has recently been added to the known carcinogen list. Large amounts of aluminum, particularly when you get into the adolescent vaccine, which is known to cause blood, blood caught, heart attack, and stroke. Um, there are 63 different types of chemicals that are in the vaccine. Now, that doesn't mean one vaccine has 63 different chemicals, but it means if you get all 16 vaccines, you've got doses of 63 different types of chemicals that have been injected into your precious little bundle. 63 chemicals in your child, and one of them is formaldehyde, a known carcinogen, um, things that will aluminum. clot your blood, <laughs> aluminum. Aluminum. And the, what about and the polysorbate 80? Is that in these still, polysorbate 80 and the mercury? Polysorbate 80 is a chemical that they use in the food industry to keep the uh, processes of foods that they manufacture from sticking together. So somebody got an idea that maybe we should just put polysorbate into the vaccine, polysorbate 80 and polysorbate 20, to keep the ingredients from sticking together. They call it a flow agent. And what, the, what it does is it, it causes an, an extreme inflammatory reaction in the body, and it's a known carcinogen in mice. I'm, I'm sorry, not a carcinogen. It's known in female mice to cause infertility, and they think it may cause testicular atrophy in male mice. Mm. It's also one of those ingredients that causes blood clumping um, and causes an increase, excuse me, increased risk of heart attacks and strokes. And that is in some of the DPT vaccines, and it's in the teenage Gardasil. The mercury has been taken out of most of the vaccines in terms of the large quantities of mercury that it used to be in back in about 2001 and 2002. 
Um, there's less mercury, but it's not zero. They still have traces in the vaccine. And in the multi-dose flu shots, you still get a full dose of 25 micrograms of mercury. Wow. So we're gearing up here. You know, get your flu shot, come into Walgreens or wherever, and get your dose of mercury, right? <laughs> 25 yeah. milligrams? What did you say? Micrograms. 25, 25 micrograms. Oh, and goodness. the thing is about... The thing is about about the flu shot, and I'm glad you sort of segued into that, is that every year the flu shot has three viruses in it. And the World Health Organization makes the determination every year which three viruses from the stock uh, viral solutions they're going to use in the flu shot. And that is based on the uh, virus that is in, was in largest circulation in Southeast Asia last year. So... It's not a very accurate process, and the World Health Organization says, in their own words, are it's a crapshoot if we if, to pick out the viruses each year to know which ones to put in the vaccine. It's an absolute crapshoot. Right, and somehow people have gotten shot. brainwashed. They believe that, well, I've gotten the flu shot every year, and I've never gotten the flu. Well, that's I say that too. <laughs> I've never gotten the flu shot, and I never get the flu because I do what you said. I eat well, I wash my hands, I sleep. You know, I. Um, take vitamin D, you know, we have much more control over our health. Um, we don't have to take a risky flu shot. And those three viruses that they randomly pick out, if you are of the belief that the flu shot does you some good, then those flu, those three viruses in that flu shot that got injected into your body have to develop an antibody that matches the viruses out in circulation in order for it to give you any protection. And over the last 13 years, the viruses in the flu shot matched the flu viruses out in circulation less than 14% of the time. So you can get the flu shot and still get the flu. And if you get the flu, there are, there are, there are dozens of other types of viruses out in circulation that can cause you to have cough, cold, bronchitis, flu-like symptoms, and so it doesn't have anything to do with the flu. And another point I want to make about that, because what you said is so incredibly true about what you do to stay healthy, is that what, how do we get the, the lion's share of vitamin D in our body? It's through being outside and getting sunshine on our skin so our skin and our kidneys can make vitamin D for us. And if you go to the doctor and get a vitamin D level, get a blood test, I encourage all your listeners to always ask for the number. Because if the doctor just tells you, well, your, your vitamin D level is normal, well, the normal range on a vitamin D level is between 30 and 100. And your normal level might be 30 or 31. But optimally, to protect your immune system, it needs to be somewhere between 60 and 80. So you may be, the doctor may tell you you are in the normal range, but you're at the low end, and as we head into wintertime in the northern hemisphere, it's going to drop down below that, which makes you much more susceptible to influenza and viruses and all the bugs out there, and now we're stuck inside, you know, more, we're not going outside as much, and our vitamin Ds are low, and we don't get the protection that we need. That's why years and years and years ago, when we were in agrarian society, when we were mostly about agriculture, from sunup, we would be outside from sunup to sundown from March to September. And we would be generating all this vitamin D that would be stored up in our kidney and our liver and our fat in our bodies 
so that we could go through the winter time and utilize that vitamin D during the winter. And that's why we didn't used to see these big flu things in the past because our society has changed. Those viruses don't migrate. They're not like birds. They don't like come come up in the in the winter and go south in the in the in the summer. What changes is our susceptibility to that virus. And part of what the susceptibility changes is by losing high levels of vitamin D. Amen. Yeah, and um, you know, so so I just want to mention that if somebody wants to get their vitamin D level tested, that you know, I can help you get a test kit that you can do at home. So you can just email me through my website at getbetterwellness.com because we need to be informed. And just because you're taking a supplement doesn't mean it's getting you to the right level. There's other factors involved with your digestion and the form you're taking and things like that. So um, I I just want to go back again. I'm trying to beat a dead horse here because – I want people to really get a picture of what's being injected into your baby, into yourself. So you've talked about um, some of the ingredients like formaldehyde and aluminum and polysorbate 80, but what about the animal cells? What kind of animal cells end up in some of those uh, vials? Well, there's three vaccines now. It's the, the rubella vaccine, the chicken, uh, the chickenpox vaccine, and the and I believe it's the hepatitis A vaccine that are called the viruses are cultured in cells from aborted fetal tissue. So hmm. you end up extracting some human DNA that gets injected into your baby, which kind of is not a good thing. Um, the other thing is when these vi- the viruses, in order to replicate, to be able to take a stock virus that we've decided we want to use for a vaccine. And we put it into, we have, in order for them to replicate, they have to grow in cells, in, in living cells. So they take the virus and they put it into animal cell cultures. It replicates quickly, and then there's an entire process that they use to centrifuge off, to pull off the virus and centrifuge off all the junk that they, the virus was grown in. And then they have to use all these chemicals to, um, they call it attenuate it, which means weaken it or to kill it so that they can inject this virus into you and, and that you don't end up with a full-blown disease. And that's sort of the pathway on how it's supposed to act. The problem is that there's nothing along that line that has any level of sterility to it. So you've got this virus that's grown in several different things. It can be grown in, like the flu shot is grown in eggs. The yellow fever vaccine is grown in eggs. Um, they are now using dog kidney cells. They're using um, uh, retina cells from aborted fetal tissue in some of the flu shots in Europe. They're using um, uh, a new type of cell that, they, that is grown in, in caterpillar eggs. So now it's mm-hmm. insect cells. And along the way of trying to strip out and take out that virus, some of those things are just not centrifuged out. So we know that in the vaccines that are made from eggs, that we get viruses in there, avian viruses, which are bird viruses, and some of the other vaccines, like the measles vaccine and some of the other ones, are made from bovine serum, which is calf serum. And so there are bovine viruses that are in there that they know that there's no way that they can centrifuge them out, they can't culture them out, and they know that, like, bovine diarrhea virus does end up in babies, and there are lots of case reports out there in the liter- literature that an infant is, in, is, in, is um, 
admitted to the hospital with chronic diarrhea. When they test it, the, the, the uh, virus that's causing the diarrhea is bovine diarrhea virus. So that had to have come from the vaccine. So not all of these viruses that end up in these vaccines are completely benign, and they can be incorporated into the human DNA genome and to can start to transform the human DNA. It's, you know, it's like I always say, Aaron, you know, vaccination is a 200-year mistake. And now that we understand the physiology better, we need to do something different than inject foreign matter into little humans and expect it to somehow keep them healthy. Right, because we're seeing the connection between, you know, not only allergies, but, you know, severe reactions that involve the neurological system. And, um, you know, of course, everybody says they're safe and effective. Why not get them? But they're not safe, and and you've shown us they're not even effective. So is um, is there any vaccine that if parent is going to say, okay, well, of these 16, maybe this one, are there any in your mind that they should ask for? Or they, you've said they're all bad. A little poison still poison. Right. And a little poison is still poison. And when you see, like we've had in our practice here, I mean, we have in our practice here in Cleveland, Ohio, Middleburg Heights is a, is a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. And I'm always proud to say that we've had patients from 39 states and 14 foreign countries to come to our small clinic to get well and get off their drugs. We have a board-certified pediatrician in our practice. Her name is Dr. Janet Leviton. Janet has, has been in practice for 30 years and absolutely is totally against vaccines. In fact, when, early on in her pediatric practice, she saw two babies die of SIDS right before her eyes with the vaccines uh-huh. and has never used vaccines in her practice ever in 30 years. Mm-hmm. We have a board-certified gynecologist that does our bioidentical hormones and our weight loss program. We have a really extensive allergy elimination program that we get people well and off their drugs. Mm-hmm. And when we look at vaccines, all of us, when we look at it, we say there's no way that you can inject this stuff into a human body that's supposed to be, the blood's supposed to be sterile and it does everything it can to keep foreign matter out of your blood. Why is it okay to inject this? And so in my opinion, and I, I laid the groundwork at the beginning of this conversation to say this opinion came with lots of years of experience and many, many thousands of hours of study that I believe that there's, that children should be kept safe and healthy and non-injected, and there's a whole lot of things that parents can do to keep them healthy. And when we see the unvaccinated kids in our practice, they're healthy, they're smart, they're inquisitive, they're ahead of their milestones, they never get sick, they're not on antibiotics, they don't have runny, snotty noses all the time, they don't have to go through PTOT, speech therapy, all these other things that somehow parents have decided is a normal part of growing up, hmm. how does we embrace that thing? I know. It's, um, you know, my kids are just, um, you know, in their teens. And so I didn't know, you know, early on, but then I did, you know, listen to you uh, many years ago and learned. Um, so I've been running <laughs> to keep ahead of people who are trying to vaccinate them, the college, the high school, the doctors. And so what can a parent do if we've decided, you've convinced me I don't want this, but how do we um, tell that to our doctor and our schools? What are our rights and how do we go about um, having this freedom that is supposed to be ours? 
great question, and that's a really great place to to, to go from this because um, for many years now, I've been saying on radio shows like this and other ones that if I suddenly won the the, the Super Powerball um, Lotto, <laughs> I would put up billboards all over the country that says "No shots, no school, not true." And now there are there are communities around the country who have who've heard me. And they're putting up billboards. In Austin, there's one. There's one in Chicago. There's been a couple in Florida that say exactly that. No shots, no school, not true. You need to know your laws. And in all 50 states, you've got rights to refuse vaccination in in exchange for a public education. There are 19 states where you need absolutely no vaccines whatsoever. There are 48 states that you have a right to refuse the injection of foreign matter into your lovely little child based on religious principles of contamination of the blood. So you do have rights to refuse. And if you've got a bullying pediatrician, go get another doctor. There's nobody on the, on the planet that says that you have to go to that one. And if you've got a healthy, unvaccinated child, chances are you don't need a doctor anyway. You need a nurse practitioner or a pediatric chiropractor, or you can see an acupuncturist, or you can see some, somebody that can help you in the rare event that your child gets sick. But having a pediatrician is absolutely not mandatory for your health care. Right. So, you know, for me in Illinois, um, I had to write a letter and have it notarized and send it off to college. Um, Other times I just, you know, avoided sending in the form to school. And I said, well, we'll just not do anything until they come after me. So, (laughs) and they never did. So I didn't have to even get a letter in some of the schools. So, um, and I did have to change doctors, you know, because the doctor said, I'm not going to see you again if you're not going to get these shots updated. And, you know, it's like, okay, bye-bye. So we did, you know, we have to just keep shopping around, ask questions. There are good, you know, osteopathic physicians that, um, will be for you, you know, helping you to make the choice um, and giving you your freedom back. Because do you think we're losing our liberty to choose to vaccinate or not? I think it's getting tougher. I think it is getting harder. And I think it's because we haven't had a strong enough understanding of what the process is. And we are, our rights are being eroded everywhere our rights to have non-GMO food or at least have GMO. If it's going to be GMO, it needs to be labeled. You know, whether or not we get fluoridation in our water, um, you know, our rights are being eroded everywhere. And I think that, in, you know, all you know, think global but act local. And so all of these things need to be happening at a local level. You need to find a group of like-minded people. And it may be only be five or ten people in your community that you guys get together and support each other and, and start educating people at your church or at your, at your health club or at your PTA meeting or something like that. Go to the, the local police department and tell them, you guys don't need to get these flu shots here. Here's a test kit that I'm, I'm donating to your, uh, your police department so all you guys can get your vitamin D levels tested. I mean, mm. there's lots of small things that you can do on a local level. Um, come out to my Facebook page. Join me at facebook.com forward slash vaccine info. Facebook.com forward slash vaccine info. There's okay. almost 35,000 people out there who don't vaccinate. 
you can find a bunch of friends maybe in your community, and that might be a good place to start of knowing people that already have made their decisions to not vaccinate because that's what this wall is about. We discuss, we don't, we don't debate, we don't banner, we don't really care to hear any of the pro-vaccine arguments. We've heard them all and rejected all of them. Right. So there's a community of people there that you won't feel like the Lone Ranger. Yeah, and locally here in uh, Lake County, Illinois, I teach um, classes in the community in Round Lake Beach and Kenosha, Wisconsin. So I teach people just how to get better, how to build your immune system, get off the sugar and flour, which is inflaming your immune system and just opening the door to all these bugs. So once you learn about vitamin D, about how to eat, um, you know, sleep, relax, you know, you're you're protecting yourself. You're not just throwing your kids out the door and saying, oh, well, hope you don't encounter the virus today. You know, you're doing something. You're taking action that's going to matter in their little lives. So, Dr. Tenpenny, thank you for um, really just uh, blowing open the door and showing us that we have a choice, and it's a choice we probably want to refuse <laughs> to take into our bodies. You're welcome. You're welcome, Erin, and thank you for all the work that you're doing. And I hope that this gave people a little broader way of thinking about things that, you know, really step back. If your doctor cannot list five ingredients that are injected into your little child, why would you let them do it? Why would you allow right. these things to be injected? Why, are, why have you become so fearful of illness and a little bit of fever and something that's going to come and go in a week in exchange for something that can cause a lifetime of illness? Right. And remember, folks, Dr. Tenpenny has studied this issue for 17,000 hours of looking at studies and reading the literature. And there's probably not one doctor who has spent, you know, two hours um, who's giving advice that they're safe and effective. So if your doctor is saying that, ask them how much they've studied the issue, what are the ingredients, because the paper you're being given is marketing saying you know and you're signing something saying i've been informed you're not being informed by that little piece of paper you need to do your own digging and research dr tenpenny has a couple of books cds dvds on her website drtenpenny.com and that will give you a great place the facebook page um, you don't have to wonder you don't have to be confused and fearful because there's answers out there and you can arm yourself and be ready. So I wish you all a good day. Um, get better. Do the right thing by just eating well and taking care of yourself. And thank you, Dr. Tenpenny, and I hope to have you back again someday. Thank you so much, Erin. You have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, folks. Now you've got the information you need about vaccines. And if your questions weren't answered, please email me at erin at getbetterwellness.com and I will help you find and track down the answer. And visit my website. I offer, um, for people who don't live in Northern Illinois, a DVD series um, that will that was recorded live at one of my classes and you'll get um, you know, e-books for all the materials that we gave out as well as you know, a recipe book, so you can learn how to feed yourself and feed your family well, how to stay out of the way of bugs, and just have a great immune system. So visit my website and tune in back here next week where we'll be bringing you another great podcast. Have a great day.